0: Hi, and welcome back to the Coffee, Cake, and Kegels podcast. I'm your host, Stacey, and today my guest host is Tiffany Mara, sex educator and adjunct professor of human sexuality at Rutgers University. I met Tiffany at a workshop I hosted on The Divine Feminine, and I found her work to be extremely fascinating. Not to mention that I've always admired a fellow educator, especially on the topics considered taboo. So thank you for being my guest host today, Tiffany! Thank Let's you. talk
1: sex! Thank you for having me.
0: Thank I'm so welcome. excited about this. You're welcome. So what do you want to know? So I want to know, what made you decide to study human sexuality? So I also went to my
1: undergrad at Rockers. Okay, so and and what is it? Like, people probably don't even know. So sexuality is a lot of different pieces. Um, I actually teach about, there's the circles of sexuality. It's five different circles um and it really just encapsulates what that means and so sexuality a lot of people think is only focused on sex and it's not right because a lot of it also has to do with our intimacy our interpersonal relationships like all those things that kind of create what our version of ourselves looks like so like body image is also in- incorporate in that physical attraction right like our emotional uh regulation and our emotional orientations which could be different from sexual orientation Um, and so it really just helps us understand who we are as a person and who we are in relation to other people. And that could be, you know, different for so many different people for any other number of reasons. Um, and so we don't really talk about that. Like when we think about sexuality, we only think of sex, which is what I always thought of too. Yeah. You know, exactly. And which we don't even get enough conversations around to in general, when we're talking about like education and so I was in an abnormal psychology class when I was in my undergrad, and there was a whole section that they were talking about sexual um, dysfunctioning, and I found it fascinating. Like, so we had one day on sexual dysfunction, one day on sexual functioning, and that was kind of, like, it. Like, it was just a week long, like, we're going to talk about sex, and that's it. And it was very much framed of, like, here's what's abnormal, which I was like, hmm, but what's, what's normal then? Like, what isn't, like, you know, what's the difference? So what's abnormal? Exactly. Right because no really I'm asking <laughs> I what is that well so like a lot of it has to do with like different like dysfunctions of like body parts was what was focused on in this okay. class, but regardless I was I was fascinated and so I went to go to office hours for this professor, and he started talking to me about how he worked with the overage of patients during like Dr. Ruth's like big like up and coming like I'm a sex therapist like whole thing, and I was just like enamored by it I was like oh my god tell me so much more tell me everything. And so I went and like followed up with him and went to a bunch of different like, you know, office hours to kind of talk about it. And he's the one who told me that Rutgers had a critical sexuality studies minor because I didn't know. Like I knew that there was a women in genders um, major, but I didn't know that there was like a specific sexuality studies minor. And so I immediately started grabbing all those courses, took all those classes. And not that they weren't, they they weren't good, they weren't great. And I'll leave it like that, basically. Like, I <laughs> I definitely, I went to my master's program, and the classes that I was taking in my master's program that were focused on human sexuality were really what I was hoping for in, like, my 101s and, like, getting my feet wet of what sexuality was and, like, what this field could, like, do. And so I, you know, finished, gra- I finished my undergrad. I had a BA in psychology, and I always thought I wanted to be, like, a forensic psychologist. That was, like, where I thought I was going. And... Once I started learning about sexuality more, I was like, I want to learn more about this. Like, how do I do that? And so I went to Widener University in their master's of education program, and it's a specialization in human sexuality. And it's the only place in the country, I think potentially the world, that you can get an education degree in sexuality. Everything else is based on like philosophy or psychology, or like is a counseling degree where you like talk about sexuality, or like you'd be like marriage and family counseling. Um, But it was like the only place you can go for an ed degree and so the day that i found out that i got it was like the greatest day of my life um my parents were on vacation i'm calling them like leaving voicemails because they're like literally in the air and can't answer my phone call (laughs) but um so i went there and that was really like where i got the education that i was looking for and a lot of the education was about unlearning um and so like learning to process ourselves and so i had like the very heavy like education courses where i had to learn about curriculum building lesson planning and like how to make like smart goals for lessons and all that stuff but the other classes were all about sexuality and all about like, you know, processing and understanding where um, like your boundaries like kind of landed and what like communities you'd be able to work within and what might be a boundary for you and whatnot and like all that stuff. But a lot of it was about unlearning our own like cultural worldviews. And so we had classes like I remember like my first weekend in class, I was so nervous in general just because I was starting a master's program, but I like cried. For like, And I'm not a crier, but, like, I cried in front of, like, these, like, 15 people that I've never met before until this day. And, like, it was a very, like, emotional, like, processing experience a lot of the courses, um, which was, like, I think what I was, like, looking for. And I just didn't know that I was looking for that because we don't know how to have these conversations a lot of the time because we're not taught or, like, we're taught and it's very, like, nuanced or it's very sex negative. And so, like, I was yearning for that piece of being able to learn how to have these conversations and how to also have them with other people and like teach about it and so everything just kind of like fell into place
0: (laughs) and i'm feeling like maybe like your own healing
1: yeah like around a hundred percent sexuality or whatever yeah topics about it a hundred percent a lot of our papers were were self-reflective and so like we had to sit and write 10 page papers like on ourselves and dig into like why I have poor body image or like why I might feel a certain type of way about you know about sex or sexual behavior or like anything that had to do with sexuality I mean we also had to write papers on things that like we were uncomfortable with like that would be a boundary for us like there was a lot of self-reflection and like self-healing from like understanding trauma and like what could have been trauma that you didn't name as trauma and like all this crazy stuff that came up that like was very emotional, like while going through this process around with other people and then having to have those conversations about your emotions with those people that you've just met that are now your best friends. <laughs> well, they become, yeah, yeah they I, know a lot about yeah. you. I hope they become your best friends. No,
0: it was, I, I, that resonates too with me because when I was in school for substance abuse counseling we took a family class mm-hmm. and we had to really look deep
1: and I'd come home crying. Yeah.
0: I'd yeah. be like, oh my God, I'm now. I'd be writing no. papers and tears would
1: be pouring onto my laptop keyboard. I'm like,
0: if they're going to stop working. But that I think those are the best courses.
1: Yeah. Because even if it's not something that you're pursuing in terms of like wanting to go teach about that, to learn about yourself is incredibly important. And it's going to, like healing is incredibly important to be able to move through the rest of the world and like not be putting your shit on other people, like literally. And so that's like the way that I always run my classroom also like that's why a lot of the um like assignments that I do are pulled like pretty much from my master's program of like I don't want you to like hear that I did this in my master's and it's be like some like elite level like work like it's about processing yourself like it's not hard it's uncomfortable which that. is different I wish more yeah. college courses were like that so do I I would have <laughs> probably stayed even longer
0: now. <laughs> But that's awesome. So tell me what the curriculum is like. Like, what do you... What are some of your... Like, what are some of the...
1: So as of now, I've taught... I have four classes under my belt. Um, I've taught the Intro to Critical Sexuality Studies class once because the professor who taught it, who actually taught me it, was on sabbatical. But I haven't taught it since because she's been back. Um, I usually am teaching uh, the 101 course, which is Intro to Gender, Race, and Sexuality. And that one's honestly my favorite um, in a very biased way, mostly because I just feel like when you get people from 101s, like it's they're it's fresh you know like it's new and so not that i don't love the like scaffolding conversations that i have with students who come take my other classes like who i've already had or like my higher level classes but the 101 like you're really we're dissecting so much stuff so like we sit and we talk about love languages and we Oh, i
0: love that yeah oh
1: my god one of my favorite um i've added in like conversations around self-care and like what's been going on with covid obviously just because of like that's you know our, our generational like situation right now um but body image circles of sexuality like i mentioned before gender and gender roles we talk about toxic masculinity uh reproductive justice virginity we just have a day that we talk about porn um privilege which is like literally my favorite lesson um and i could talk more about that too but we talk about um wait porn privilege or porn porn and then privilege two separate okay i was like wait two separate (laughs) no two separate topics (laughs) um cultural appropriation um i added in a a lesson on the personal care industry um like on how harmful like products are that we're using and like Mm -hmm. you know all of that stuff medical racism and like how like you know a lot of like our medical field is kind of brought on the backs of black and indigenous and people of color a lot of the times women um how they don't get the care that they're supposed to be getting exactly Mm -hmm. um language and sexuality so how important language is especially when we're thinking about like kids um, it was also a great class. We have a whole day that I talk about like the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, we talk about hookup culture, especially in like campus safety um, while being at there in college. Um, and so I feel like that's, it's a lot of new material, but a lot of, um, most often is a little bit more low risk. I'd say like privilege and like the medical racisms are like my biggest, like I guess, like button pushers for that class. Um, but I specifically talk about privilege. Like I, I go through an activity and I literally have Sebastian from the little mermaid behind me on a PowerPoint, like chilling in the ocean. Um, and you know, I run, like I said, I run my classroom very much about like personal unlearning. And so the reason why Sebastian's up there is like, you know, lobsters, their cue that they're growing is that they have discomfort and they need to like shed their shell and like go grow a new one. And I'm like, well, that's how like this class is going to be. And like, that's how life's going to be. Like, you're going to have stuff that you're going to get that's going to push on things that you've already learned or that you thought you knew and you're going to get uncomfortable and that just means you're growing. It means you're understanding more things Um, and that's really how I try and run my classroom at all times. Like, Especially like, I try not to pretend like I'm an expert. I also don't think you could really be an expert in social sciences because it's always evolving. Um, But like, I'm not trying, I think that I'm going to learn as much as you do from me that I'm going to learn from you in this room as well. Um because there's so many people who have experiences that are much different than I do um, and I don't think that we should kind of shy away from that. We should have an understanding that everyone's mm-hmm. like an a, an expert in their own lives and their own lived experiences
0: yeah i i I, I don't think anyone's an expert yeah. i I feel like everyone's always learning and growing, and if you're not, you should always be learning and growing should, right <laughs> right and yeah. if you're not, you are really not living a full life yeah you know you're living a very sheltered existence of course because you only
1: have like tunnel vision on what you've lived through and have no understanding of anyone else or like i I don't know how you really have empathy that way either i know know? so many people don't yeah (laughs) but I, i do teach that class um i also teach they asked me to teach a digital media class um so i mean other than being a consumer of digital media i don't really have like much of a background in it but a lot of it we talk about like representation and like Queer baiting is a class that I just had. I had one of my good friends actually come in as a guest lecturer for like a week. Um, We talk about queer baiting. Queer baiting. So queer baiting is basically like the crumbs that we get um, in like film and in media, and so what that means is that and you know it could be uh, like a a studio or like the creators of whatever like movie or film that you're watching and they kind of like bait in like their queer audiences by saying like oh like we might have a gay character this season like you should watch kind of thing and then you watch and like there's like maybe one comment that if like people are reading between the lines can kind of view as something that's queer and like, that's enough, like the queer baiting to try and make money off of queer audiences and like have them tune that in and is watch so manipulative. Yeah. And like, it's very much orchestrated. And so it's, it's fascinating and you could, it's fascinating because a lot of the times people who aren't like within the community see it because as a, like a privilege of being like a straight person, you don't view it as right. That, I, you never know, you've, it. You've never I never noticed it. I never even to, noticed that. Yeah, you know, you never have to read between the lines and so like I that's fascinating and that's why like I have one like I said one of my good friends comes in and talks about it um I talk about privilege I talk about privilege in every single one of my classes I find a way to like warp it in because I think it's just incredibly important to acknowledge our levels of privilege um but I talk about dress codes in that class as well um self-esteem and like how like you know the era of social media that we're in is kind of like damaging us um Uh, big time yeah and um you know we'll talk about like safe spaces and brave spaces and like how that kind of correlates into the internet um a lot about like how the internet's almost become a way for us all to be bystanders um because of like the rise in like a lot of like violent and hateful like videos and like people tuning in and it's almost like it's almost like we're tuning in to watch because of, like, this curiosity, but not actually taking action when we're seeing these things happen. Because we're, like, kind of dis- disconnected from it. Because we're so used to watching films and movies and, like, TV that have... We're desensitized. Exactly. We're desensitized. Yeah, exactly. That was the word I was trying to pull up. You <laughs>
0: no, that's okay. You know, what, you know what I was thinking of when she was talking about it? I was thinking of, I know this is wacky, the Salem witch trials. Because yes. Because the same thing happened then. All the townspeople would cheer. Yeah at the hangings they would like be so excited yeah and everyone could have stopped it if they just bum rushed exactly like the people who were running the town you know what i mean like it could have been stopped yeah you stood by and you cheered it on exactly and it's the same
1: and like you would think we have grown from that time period yeah well i mean we also we also don't talk about how to consume media either like that's not something we're taught of how to consume media how to go about like reporting if media is harmful like all those things And so I touch about a lot of that in that class. And then this semester is the first time I'm actually teaching um, a feminist practices course, which I like, this was, I think this was the most like pouring my heart and soul into like a syllabus, I wanna say. Um, Mostly because like, I just, I had so much more time (laughs) to like, to think about it, I guess. Like, you know, it was definitely like thrust upon me and I was so excited to take it on, but this one's like really like my passion like project I want to say like you know I listen to we listen to some podcast episodes from um, the financial feminists so we talk about like predatory systems and like the bail bond industry and how that ties into like redlining and the racism that we still see today and like systems um we talk about like overcoming your um psychological bullshit around money so I watched that we listened to that one podcast episode by her as well um because money is still like a hugely taboo to- topic to talk about like no one's comfortable talking about how much they make and why, and like you know, by keeping us silent and not talking about those things, you don't know that you should be making more. For right, the things that especially you
0: women. Yes, mm-hmm. and
1: so we talk all about that. We talk about emotional labor and emotional mm-hmm. intelligence, which is also taught, like you know, tied into money and like how emotional labor is the the things that we have to do more often for women that we're not getting paid for. Um, hustle culture, which is, I'm uh, a huge proponent of, unfortunately, and need to try and untether from that. But like this idea that we always need to be productive and that we always need to be producing something for money and like the ties to capitalism. Um,
0: it just detaches you from your higher self.
1: It does. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. It's, I come no, from the opposite so end yes. of like
0: the spiritual side. Yeah. And I'm like, they created this
1: society. So we don't have connection. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so a lot of the things that I talk like I actually have a day that we're going to be talking about um, like astrology and like, you know, the Western like, yeah, haven't lesson planned it yet. (laughs) We're getting there. I'm going to get to there at the end of the week Um, because I ran out of time before the semester started. Um, But we have a class. We're going to talk about cancel culture. We talk about like feminism and body hair. Um, we're going to talk about Harry Potter and like JK Rowling Mm. and her like being transphobic and like all of that. We're going to talk about OnlyFans. Like I have a lot of different pieces of things that are, um, I feel more like current issues when we're talking about this stuff. And so I think that that's kind of also why, like I, I appreciate history, but I don't love teaching history. I don't think like sometimes it's just not my jam. Um, and so being able to talk about stuff that like we're all currently like engaging in, I think is very important also just for us to be able to understand like, the world around us. Um, but it's also like more fun to talk about because you actually, more often than not, have had an experience with it. Um, so yeah. but I love this. Thanks. I want to <laughs> go, ba- go back to school. You're welcome <laughs> in my classroom whenever you want to come. Oh, <laughs>
0: really. I was like, I'm going to go back to
1: school. I'm <laughs> <laughs> running rockers. I'll be home later.
0: <laughs> so as an educator, what misconceptions do you find that students have regarding some of these topics because i know we can't touch every single topic yeah. but like what do you notice
1: most like what stands out the most i think that honestly a lot of people internalize and understand these just based on like how their parents view it or their friends because right we often are, aren't learning about sexuality in school and it's not like comprehensive sex ed the way it should be and like there are only right there's less than 15 states that require your sex ed to even be medically accurate. So there's states in this country that they have mandated sex ed, but it doesn't have to be medically accurate, which means that there's a lot of bias that's pulled into it. A lot of it's abstinence only. So like, if you're not having these conversations, you're picking up on it, like the pieces from who, from your, your family, from like your friends, from maybe your older siblings or like cousins, like relatives from TV, from pornography, the right? Worst and ways, like, the worst how harmful, get because oh most God. of, most of these people don't, you know, a lot of people ha- like hold shame around these topics. And so the most that I really see, I think, in my students is like the shame of even being able to hold a conversation about it because we've never been taught to have the language to do that. And we are so like, it's so instilled in us, it's, we're socialized to understand that they're negative, that we shouldn't talk about it. It's something you talk about behind closed doors. You're not talking about it in a classroom. You're not engaging in this with other people. And so that's really what I see a lot is like the shame and the guilt that we hold surrounding these topics. Because we don't have the conversation, or we do, and it's a very, like, pigeonholed idea that is getting put upon us by the people around us. Which is not necessarily always a bad thing, right? Like, that's the way that we all learn in general, is from the people around us. But if you're not having these open conversations, you're never seeing anything else other than what you know, or what you've been told. And that could be incredibly harmful for folks, like, depending on the messages that you are getting about these things. Yeah, like, when young men boys cuz
0: they are at some age it depends when they're watching porn yeah they think that women want to be beaten that you know or whatever they're watching yeah and i've noticed that with even in sh- like the show euphoria yeah i watch it from a different perspective mm-hmm. and i'm like this is like teaching young women who are watching also that their body is i don't know there's a lot of messages yeah you know and i'm like <laughs>
1: yeah and it's and <laughs> this that's <is> harmful <laughs> and that's why I think it's it's really difficult because we don't have conversations around how to consume these things and understand that they're like for entertainment or they're meant to like arise a feeling out of us right instead of it being like this is what real life is because it's not for some people for some people it is but for some it's not and so if we're not holding those conversations with the people around us of like how I should be watching this movie how I should be looking at this and like There's totally times where you don't want to be thinking about this. Like I do it all the time. Like there's days where I'm like, I'm exhausted. I can't think and like unpack all of this stuff. And I'm just going to watch this as like pure entertainment and just like let it be. But you have to be able to then move back to that at some point and think about that movie that I watched the other day was giving me messages that I should be like X, Y, Z. And if people who are younger than me are watching this, who are impressionable, what is that telling them about their lives? What is that telling them about the way that they should hold their bodies, the way that they should allow for folks to like intrude on their boundaries? Like, what are we teaching in this? And we don't get that. And so that's why we hold all of this, you know, like these negative feelings around these things because we're not told to be, to be like active consumers and to be learning about what we watch. And it's, it's gotten so much worse, I think, since social media. And like, I'm, I'm big on social media. I'm on it all the time. But like, if you're just scrolling mindlessly through stuff and you're not really thinking about the impact that has on you, then you're not, you're not going to, to be able to reach that higher self because you're getting, you know, all of these negative messages more often than not. Because you're seeing things and you're consuming it 24-7. We literally mm. have, we have everything at our fingertips at I know. all times. it's scary. And if you're not talking about how to do that responsibly, then you're not going to be doing it responsibly. You're going to be like a lot of unconscious things that are going to be kind of pull into your consciousness that's going to spill into your relationships, into your understanding of yourself, into the way that you perceive yourself and others.
0: Even for someone like myself, who I feel I'm pretty solid when it comes to who I am my spirituality things like that even i when i scroll mm-hmm. sometimes feel like ooh you know i'm yeah. like i don't know how to describe it but i'm like this doesn't this doesn't feel right yeah and i have to unfollow or whatever and i'm like you know i'm like
1: oh, i thought we aligned in the same whatever you know and
0: i'm like no
1: you know i have to leave every every january i go through a yearly purge of my social media and i go and follow things that don't make me feel good anymore (laughs) for whatever reason it might be yeah i did that i did that
0: um i like it maybe when the beginning when the pandemic started yeah
1: because i was there was so much fear-mongering
0: and i'm like no 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 because i'm like i can't see this every second
1: of the day yeah exactly because you get to curate your little space Yeah. Yeah. And like, you don't need all that negativity in that space either. Yeah. No, it's scary. Yeah. I completely agree. So let's talk about some stigmas. Okay. There's so many. (laughs) I know there are. There's so (laughs) many stigma. I mean, like the stigma just in general to like be having sex. Right. And so, and what sex means, right. Because we live in a very heteronormative society. And so anything that doesn't fit the straight, like ideal, is something that we see as stigmatized. It's something that's deviant and something that's not acceptable. It's something we shouldn't talk about. It's something that we shouldn't allow, right? Like it's something, it's something that, you know, is, is for other people who are not involved with us. And it's a very much like othering. we see the same thing with race. We see there's so many stigmas in terms of like the stereotypes that we hold around race, the stereotypes that we hold surrounding gender and gender roles right and like masculinity is a big one and I feel like a lot of the times masculinity gets a very bad rap and masculinity itself isn't toxic but like toxic masculinity is and like that little sector of masculinity so that's why I try in my 101 classes to always talk about that because we always talk about how the way our society is set up ruins women and not that it doesn't but it also ruins men because we have pressure that's put on them as well To act a certain way towards women. Exactly. To act a certain way towards women. To act a certain way, like, to be able to be masculine and what that means. And that being incredibly harmful to men, too. I mean, we teach men that they they shouldn't be allowed to cry. That you're not allowed to have feelings or emotions unless it's anger. That you're supposed to view women as objects. That you're, you know, all of these negative things that we hold. When it isn't true, because if you go talk to most men in, like, a private setting, we all... It's all human characteristics. We all feel anger. We all, you know, like there are all these things we see women as nurturing that we see women as supposed to be dainty or supposed to be you know submissive we see men that have those same characteristics as well right Mm -hmm. and like they're all human characteristics of us and that's a very big stigma that we hold of like the stereotypes of what kind of box you're supposed to fit in what gender box you're supposed to fit in um and we've seen women start to like move out and like you know go into do that girl boss stuff and like go and like hustle and like be more masculine but we still see men not being able to move into like the femininity and I think that that's really like the biggest fail of feminism um, because we still hold this stigma that femininity is seen as something that's negative it's seen as something that's weak mm-hmm. it's seen as something that can be controlled and so that bled through, you know, like our, our entire society in different ways, the way that we hold women accountable for things or not accountable for things and the way that we victim blame and the way that like women won't come forward because of the fact that they are feared not being able to be believed. Like, believed. Mm-hmm. And there's so many of these stigmas that like, just are so harmful that, that poach into our lives. Right. Like um i'm trying to think what else there's so there's so many things though i mean there's even when we talk about body size right we have stigma and stereotypes surrounding mm. body size and that you can only be healthy if you're skinny is one of my favorite topics. yeah there's health at every size haze exactly yep. mm-hmm. and and that the only way to be healthy is to be thin and that the only way to be beautiful is to be
0: <laughs> that's the dog
1: <laughs> that's adorable <laughs> he doesn't want to listen to it um
0: it's <laughs> like health at every size please yes exactly
1: <laughs> um we we see a lot of like cultural appropriation as well now and like the myth that like we're allowed to just use and take from wherever we'd like to to be able to create our own aesthetics or our own understanding of things and that's incredibly harmful to to the cultures that you're stealing from that you're taking from that like we're not putting money back into um like i said the personal care industry the stigma and the belief that i feel like people think that you know everything is cleared by the fda because it's on a shelf which isn't true in any way shape or form. Let's look at the world we're living in. Colorado, exactly. Right? It's not true in any way shape or form. And so the stigma that like because you could buy it in a store that it's safe or that it's clean or that like just because it ha- it's branded that it's clean or it's in a it's a in a green container right. that's like it's that's greenwashing. And a lot of the time those products aren't even organic or safe for you. Nope. So they're using that as a way to make money to exploit the consumers. And how dangerous tampons are, pads, oh everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on top of like the pink tax and all that other stuff that affects women specifically, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And and so we have a lot of these stigmas that we think that these things are safe for us because people don't question it and no one goes against it. And the problem is is that the only way that these these stereotypes and these stigmas continue to perpetuate is because the people who are in power have created society to stay in power. And so until we could like start to dismantle those things, which I definitely believe that we've started to, we're starting to have more conversations about it. We're starting to to try and you know like push for more legislation that's safer, that's you know all of these different things. But a lot of these stigmas that we have really affect everyone in different ways, even if you're not acknowledging it, you know, like we have stick, I mean, even just stigma surrounding sex in general, like within not even just not talking about it, but like the stigmas around sex that like, you're supposed to be performative because that's what we learn a lot of times from porn. for women. That like acting. So you have, so pretend you like it, even if it hurts or exactly, or pretend like you just orgasmed, even though you didn't, Yeah, let's not talk about that. Right. Or, or the fact that, you know, like, We don't take into account when we're talking about body image, again, like body image and like the stigma around us being able to love ourselves. Right. But actually at the same time, not because we're never taught to love ourselves. And then how that plays into what our sex life looks like and how it hinders our sex life, how it hinders our like intimate relationships. Right. And so all of these stigmas really come down to like harm is really where they come down to Mm -hmm. because there's no there's not a stigma isn't positive right like a stigma in general is a negative connotation the word is negative yeah exactly and so no matter what we're talking about like there's no there's no positive stigma surrounding any of these things because we're not supposed to talk about it because it's not healthy to talk about because you're not supposed to be doing it until marriage because if we talk to you about sex you're going to go and engage in it, which is literally not true. There has been research upon research for years showing that if we talk to kids about sexuality and about sex, that they're actually more likely to delay their sexual debut, that they're more likely to be safer and engage in safer sex practices when you do so. Because we're not just saying, don't have sex we're saying, okay, you probably could abstain if you want, but if you don't, here's what you should do to ensure that you're safe, to ensure that you're having conversations with people about this. This is the tools of like ways that you can ask people if they've been STI tested or if, you know, like all of these things. And so these stigmas that we hold of like not having conversations about this is about sexuality, but like about a lot of things in general is that we shouldn't question that we should stay silent about it. And that we're only going to engage in these things in ways that we see are acceptable to society, which mm. there are millions of people who are doing all of this other stuff that doesn't fit into that box. And so we're losing like, so many people and being able to give them education surrounding how to have like, a better life in general and a better sex life and like a better understanding of themselves and other people by holding such harsh stigmas around like anything. Yeah, you're right.
0: Even I know like growing up, I mean, you know, my mom and dad are old school. You know, they're in their 70s, so. But my father did talk to me about sex. Not in a good way. In a way like, boys are going to use you. Mm -hmm. And blah, 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 blah. He wasn't always wrong. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) but, you know, like, he would say things like that to me. But the fact alone that he taught, he's like, wait till you love someone. Those are the nice things. Like, he would be like, wait till you have a connection and love someone. So, but by him having that conversation, I waited till I was, like, 18 not because I wanted to, like, you know, but I felt like I wanted, like I want to really care about someone. I don't yeah. just want to do this, mm-hmm. like just to do it. You know, I wanted to mean something. Yeah. You know, so I I feel I even same thing with drugs. I know it's off the topic, but if you talk about it, you explain the dangers of it. Yeah. it, it, it I don't know my. Same thing. We talked about drugs and use and what happens. We had addicts in my family, so we got to see. The dangers, but to also know about it, when I went to parties when I got older and people were doing lines of coke, I was like, no thanks. Yep. You know? Yep. So the more education we
1: have, knowledge is power. But it also gives you access to be able to say no and to not feel pressured and to right. that yes. you should do something because you're uncomfortable. Right. Because I've already been like completely submerged in it. Yeah. That I felt confident to be like, no, I'm good. You exactly. Know? And a lot of people can't, whether we're talking about drugs or we're talking about sex or we're talking about any number of things. Like, a lot of people are socialized and, you know, because of these, these values that we hold are told in subliminal ways that like you should do things even if it makes you feel uncomfortable because you don't want to be rude you don't want to hurt someone else's feelings or you don't want to be popular yeah young people exactly like you want to fit in which is i mean everyone wants to fit in so a lot of the times we feel this pressure to do these things because we want to feel like we're part of that in crowd which could be damaging to us in so many ways right
0: it's so crazy right so many things that people don't think of i mean so okay what advice do you give for parents, since I am one? <laughs> yes.
1: In discussing sex with our children? So there's there's so many resources too. Like Advocates for Youth is a great resource. Say that again. Advocates for youth. Advocates okay. There's a lot of books too. I could give you a whole resource list if you want. Um and really a lot of it's surrounding like age appropriate, comprehensive sex education. That doesn't mean you have to have a conversation with your five-year-old, of, like this is what sex is, and this is, you know, how you do it and this is the mechanics of it. But it's like when you're this is a big one too, and it's really difficult because it's I think it's very much linked to like familial values. Um but when we're going and seeing relatives and you walk into the house, what are we told, especially in Italian families? Because I'm also oh my god, an Italian give a hug and a kiss. You have to. You have to give a hug and kiss to everyone who's in the room. And sometimes kids don't want to do that. It could be just because they don't feel like it because they're uncomfortable because they want to just go play with their cousins, like whatever it might be. But like, that's a way that we teach consent. You don't want to do that. You don't have to do that. You want to go give a hug and kiss to whoever you can go do it. You're not being, you're not being rude if you don't, right? Like you, you're allowed to decide that for your body. If you don't feel comfortable with it, that's okay. So you can go play. Maybe you want to say hi to everyone later. Right. And that's yeah, a
0: big one. That is. I already do that. Thank God. But okay, I, t- okay. I tell my kids, say hello. Yeah. Whatever that is for them.
1: Yeah. If that means hi. If that means going over and running and giving a and hug. It, and kiss. It's up but- to them. Exactly. Yeah. And so, because if you, if you think about that, right, we get socialized then that you should be forcing your body to do something that you're yes, not comfortable that's with. How I was raised and I didn't feel some, some relatives. I felt icky hugging. Exactly. And then what happens when you're then in relationships with people who are pushing that boundary, but you have in your head that you're supposed to do these things. So violate your self trust. Exactly, yep. and so that's a huge way for for kids when we're talking about yep. kids to be able to give them like body autonomy. Um, I also believe that like you know in terms of language, naming body parts with the right names instead of like cutesy names. Right. Because a lot of the times that's how we can miss, like sexual abuse, right. If someone comes home to you, like your kid comes home to you and says, oh, mom, like John touched my cookie today and you sent a cookie for lunch and you're thinking, oh, they, they took your dessert and lunch. I'm so sorry. I'll give you two cookies tomorrow. Right. Your daughter could have just came home and told you that someone touched their vulva without their, because if that's the word that you use for like a cookie, right, for your vulva, then that could be something that you completely miss that goes disregarded, mm-hmm. and then what message are you getting? That I'm gonna come forward and I'm gonna tell you something and you're not going to believe me or you're not gonna hear me. Incredibly harmful. And so a lot of it's really just about naming, about if your child has questions, answering them to the best of your ability you're tagging in someone who might be better qualified to answer that question. I mean, like I was on a girl's weekend with my friend I'm Danielle. Gonna,
0: now I know who to call. <laughs> call me. I'm like, Always. oh we got a topic here. Yeah, I <laughs> was, I was on a
1: girl's weekend with Danielle and her daughter was with us and she had a question about someone that we came in contact with who we presumed to be trans. And so Layla started asking questions and I was like, when we get in the car, like totally asked tip, tip about that. And we had a whole conversation and like kids are like sponges and they take shit at face value all the time. And like, if you just answer their question, usually be like, okay, do you have any other questions? No, we're good. Okay. And that was a huge teachable moment, huge teachable moment in their life. And so just being able to have that open communication like mm-hmm. with them, because if not, they're going to feel like they, they don't have someone to go talk to about it. And then where are they going to go find that information? We've already talked about it, right, at like the internet. You're going to go look at porn because we're curious. And you're going to get harmful messages. And so having an open pathway with your kids who have questions about things. Like, my parents weren't always the greatest with describing things. But we're always pretty on top of, like, if I walked up to them, I will never forget. We were watching, what was it? I think we were watching The Godfather. And I was probably too young to be watching The Godfather with my parents. But I remember they said something about a BJ. And I looked at my mom and I was like, so what's a BJ? my mom was like, took a deep breath. And she was like, well... (laughs) BJ stands for blowjob, and like this is what it is, and this and I was like, okay, that sounds gross, whatever, like, and that was it. You know, and so I, I did always feel like to an extent I could go talk to my parents about it because whenever I would pop up with like some ridiculous question, they'd be like, Okay, we'll have a conversation about it, like, you know, sometimes probably under their utmost discomfort about it. But they were always really good about like, you know, if you need to come talk to me about something, if something's going on, like be open with having that conversation. If someone violates your trust, like come talk to us about it. Like we want to approach that in a, you know, whatever way we'd have to. And so I really like, you know, I definitely with like the pushing on body autonomy is a big thing for me. I think language is a big thing, but really just having an open path of like, you know, because your kids might turn around and be like, oh mom, I don't want to talk about that with you, but at least they know they can, right you know, like there's still like, oh, you're my mom. And like, we all live in the same house. and Like, I don't want to know what goes on in here that like isn't with me or whatever. But knowing that they can come to you and talk to you about stuff means they're going to be more likely to come talk to you about stuff. And like, as a trusted person in their life, being able to have a conversation with them could be super helpful for them.
0: Yeah. So all right. So so far I'm doing okay. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. So far, all those things like we do do, but good. When I get a weird topic that
1: I can't (laughs) handle, call me. Totally. Speed dial. No "Um, I don't know how to
0: handle
1: this.
0: (laughs) So when you're not
1: teaching, what is something else that you love to do? So I bake all the time. Actually, with my friend Danielle that I just mentioned. Um and we I can't with his noises. (laughs) Um we we started baking. I mean I've always loved baking. I love dessert. It's like my absolute guilty pleasure. I would eat dessert every moment of my life. All day, every day. And so I've always loved to like bake. Um my mom's always been like cooking in the kitchen and stuff like that, but like I would start taking over like baking, you know, for like holidays and stuff like that or whatever it was. And so, you know, like I was an ice hockey manager in high school. I would always bring like cupcakes and stuff after games. Um, in college, like I dated someone who's in a frat, and I was always bringing stuff to the house, like for the holidays and like all that stuff. Um, and Danielle is just me and her met at work. I actually have known her since I'm like five years old, um, because she is the cousin of someone my next door neighbor who I was really close with. Um, and so me and Danielle have always been each other's like orbit, but just not always on the same plane. Um, and so I like that description, <laughs> yeah. So we started working together at an office um, that I'm me, neither of us are actually at anymore and um we got close there and honestly like she was doing stuff in our house like so i would go over and do like creative projects with her because she knew that i liked to like create basically and we started baking like once a week just to hang out outside of work and we would bake like you know like half a dozen cupcakes it was nothing crazy and like literally just like buttercream on top and we would eat it and like just hang out and then we decided to make an instagram like we were sitting in her kitchen and i was like let's just like track our progress you know and then we, you know, we sat and like harped on what our name was going to be in our handle and all that stuff or whatever. Cause we're like, it has to be cute. And so we just started like posting. So like we would literally like on a Wednesday night, get together, make six cupcakes, take a picture and call it a day and like go home and like eat dessert. And, and then, you know, one thing led to another and who's, you know, someone's friend would call us and be like, Oh, do you want to make cupcakes for like my kid's party? Or like, do you want to like make a cake for my birthday or whatever? And we like, yeah, of course. And it just like took off from there. Um, and so I'm excited to see where that takes us now because, um, in October they passed cottage food laws for New Jersey. And so we're looking into like what that might look like for us and all that good stuff. Um, and so we're pumped. We have a lot of cute stuff on the calendar for us that we're making also. Um, so cottage and whisk is finally kind of like taking to the place that I would have loved it to be. So what is the name of this Instagram? Cottage and whisk, just at cottage and whisk. I love that. Come follow us. <laughs> yes. Yes. I um, I think I've seen it. Probably. But I was
0: like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> I probably would post
1: it. On, I post it on my story. All. It's like my personal Instagram. Okay. I post it on my story. All. Okay. okay. Um, so like I run most of our social media and stuff like that. And then Danielle's a lot into like, she's more in like designing. And then both of us bake. We co-own co- together for now. You know, like, you know. We co-own, we don't co-own anything yet because it's not legit, but (laughs) we're getting there. Um, And so we've, you know, we've been building our Instagram and all that stuff, like uh, trying to stick with like, you know, the aesthetic and everything like that. So that's been a fun adventure. It's very creative. I very much enjoy like learning and teaching and being creative. That's all I really want to do every day of my life. (laughs) And you are. Yes, right. (laughs) You manifested it. Yes, definitely.
0: So where can, so if people have, you know sex education questions or anything any questions involving what we spoke of today where can they find you do you allow people to reach out to you on social media yeah
1: of course i'm i'm on social media often so i'm, I'm very accessible there as well so my personal instagram is um at tiff tackles it all Um, and then if anyone wanted to reach me on email, you could email like my, my Rutgers email because that's what I would probably be responding to anyway. But, um, I'll link them all too. Yeah. Um, I'll give you the email address Mm -hmm. too. It's like, oh, it's a weird one based on like my net ID. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I'm always open to have conversations like this with people. So anyone who wants to reach out and ask me questions or like just hold a conversation about it, I'm more than open to do that because I love learning from other people and their experiences and like. You know how they understand what all of this stuff kind of means do you ever see yourself doing like sex therapy so when I went to my program I originally was debating on that because like I still do love psychology so desperately um of course Scorpio uh, of course always <laughs> um I'm just so interested in it it's just fascinating it's really fascinating mm-hmm. um and so like I said the like, other programs that I was like originally when I was doing my master's that I was looking into were counseling degrees Um, and I, I don't know if I'd ever go back for like a clinical, um, I mean, as of right now at Rutgers, I can't be a full-time professor unless I go get a PhD and I've debated on it, which is really annoying. Um, but I've debated on it and I don't really know if I, if that's for me necessarily. Like I'm, I'm enjoying being on the other side of grading and not having to write papers and, um, just, I don't really like thrive for doing research so I don't know if I'd, re- I'd be doing it to basically become a full-time professor um so I don't know if I'd ever go back for like a clinical degree to go into sex therapy but I'm always open to like consulting and stuff like that um I really I've reached the point in my life where I'm like I need to be my own boss and I'm fine with that um especially because even though working at Rutgers like I technically have people above me within the department But we're allowed to kind of run our classroom the way that we want. I have to submit my syllabi for them to have on file. But other than that, my classroom is my own. Um, And I like that freedom. Uh, And so I think if anything, I wouldn't necessarily go for sex therapy, but I would go into like more of like a consulting position um, or just try and create like more workshops surrounding sexuality and like stay in that education piece. Um, And that's really where I would see myself more like flourish, honestly, than, than in sex therapy. I love
0: that. Yeah.
1: And I think the world can use more of that, so. Right. Yes. <laughs> well,
0: thank you so much for being my guest host. Thank you for inviting me. You're so welcome. <laughs> um, this was awesome. Uh, for those listening, I will link her email and your Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> so if you'd like to reach out, please do. And as always, thank you for listening.